The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This year we're going through once a month on a Friday, uh, exploring, practicing with each of the ten perfections. Perfections are qualities of uh, character or virtues that are cultivated as part of Buddhist practice, which in turn supports Buddhist practice, supports the process of liberation, and supports the process of entering the world with compassion, having compassion. And it's quite beautiful that these ten qualities um, support both the path of liberation and the path of compassion equally. This last Friday, the, the topic was patience. And it's been the custom this year to, on the Sunday following the Friday Dharma Practice Day, to give a talk on that particular quality. So today I'll give a talk on patience. Patience is a really uh, lovely quality, but it's quite humble as one of these virtues that we have. And it's one that sometimes I feel um, is treated like the unwanted cousin or something. It uh, doesn't get, uh, it's not as, I think, often as valued as some of these others, you know, compassion. I mean, who's going to knock that? You know, always more for that or for uh, integrity, which is one of the parmis, or wisdom, or truth, or loving kindness. You know, all these things are beautiful qualities that uh, people will champion and be inspired by. Um, But patience is, um, you you know, we'd rather not have patience. I think at least a lot of people. Because uh, the presence of patience means that there's also present impatience. And uh, the fact that we have to be patient generally says something about us. Uh, it says that we need it, that we lack something. We, we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we'd just be equanimous and peaceful and just kind of flow through life just beautifully. Thank you. I have, I have lots of wisdom and truth and integrity and you know, all these beautiful, beautiful qualities. But uh, patience is needed because uh, there's something about us, about how we react to the circumstances around us. And generally, patience is there, needed, when there's a gap between um, how things are and how we'd like them to be. And, uh, and then in that gap, there is a tension that arises when how we want things to be has a certain compulsive quality or power to it that makes us impatient, or makes us annoyed, or makes us angry, or makes us furious, or makes us, you know, the variety of things we get caught up in our feelings or emotions because of that impatience. And so there's different ways of looking. You could look at the world, you know, obviously it's the world's fault. You know, the world is not, you know, set up to be just exactly the way it should be. If it was, then I would, there'd be no problem. You know, it would be lined up with how I think it should be, or what my, my desires are. But to expect the world to line up according to how you want it to be is re- unrealistic, and it's a sure uh, recipe for suffering. So another approach is to focus on what you can do, to, uh, uh, about to, to look carefully at how you want things to be, and to hold that, to relate to that in a way that's wiser, that doesn't lead to compulsion or irritation or anger variety of different things. It's been pointed out that um, in this modern world, of, for many of us, um, there's uh, the idea of instant gratification is a high priority now. And I mean, nowadays, I mean, some of you have computers, and again, on the internet, for example, you know, that uh, you have this 
you know, five, five years ago you got a new computer and said, wow, that's fast. Amazing. And now it's like, wow, this is a drag to have to wait two seconds here. <laughs> you know, you know I, need, I need the greatest and the fastest because this is, you know, my precious time. Is, or there's a lot of things that we want very quickly. And it's fine to want things quickly. However, uh, what's been pointed out is that people who uh, expect instant gratification or to be able to have their desires, their expectations, or their needs met quickly tend to uh, lose a sense of self-mastery, uh, a, a capacity to feel like they're masters of their own fate or that they have some personal power or authority or something in a situation. The people who have patience, uh, who are able to sit and be quiet and not give in to irritation or anger or impatience, they, they have, when, they assess, they're, when they're self-assessed, they, uh, these people are assessed to have greater sense of self-mastery because they have control over something. If you, if you expect the world to be as you wish, then it's hard to feel like you have control, that you have any mastery of anything. Um, but if you turn, turn the lens around to yourself, here is yourself, you are who you can have control over. This is where the mastery can be, this is where the monitoring can be, and you can have some... So if you have a feeling of efficacy, of power, of control of your life, you're not going to get it so much by ordering the world around, but you are going to get it by being able to understand how to negotiate uh, your own desires and wishes and aversions so that uh, you have control there or mastery there or autonomy or some degree of independence there. And this is kind of the direction that Buddhist liberation points to, is that level of uh, inner autonomy or mastery or freedom that can come when we're not uh, pushed around by all the impulses we have. So patience is a very important quality and uh, it's one of the ways we negotiate the difference between how we want things to be and how things are. Even when how we want to be, uh, want things to, uh, even when how we want things to be is how they should be, we still need patience, right? Because what's the alternative? I suppose the alternative is, uh, is that we get angry, we get irritated, we feel hopeless, we give up something. And sometimes what's needed is to, you know, not to have that. In the Buddhist analysis of patience, its, specifically, uh, it's specific function is to help us uh, not succumb to anger. That's kind of the whole purpose, you know, at least in the Buddhist analysis of it. And that maybe kind of paints a little different uh, uh, picture of what we're talking about when we talk about patience in Buddhism. But here's a beautiful quote from the Theravada tradition about patience. Patience is the unimpeded weapon of the good in the development of noble qualities, for it dispels without residue anger, the opposite of all such qualities. So the degree to which we want to develop ourselves, develop good qualities of character inside, um, patience is the unimpeded weapon of the good in the development of noble qualities, for it dispels without residue anger, the opposite of all such qualities. It is the adornment of those capable of vanquishing the foe, the strength of recluses and Brahmins, a stream of water extinguishing the fire of anger, a mantra for quelling the poisonous speech of evil people, the supreme source of constancy in those established in restraint, practice as an ocean on account of its depth. So here it's uh, held up in high esteem. 
it's, uh, it's another, another quote from the Buddha himself. Whoever endures abuse, assault, and imprisonment without animosity, and who has patience as one's strength, as, one mighty, as one's mighty army, I call a Brahman. So here, patience is seen as a strength, as a power, uh, and you know, it's likened to having an army at your disposal. Some people, when they hear the discussion about patience, feel it's an instruction to be meek and uh, to kind of be passive, you know, just kind of, just, just kind of let, stand by and let things happen as they occur. More often in Buddhism, the idea of patience has to do with patience enduring, or say differently, um, patient persistence. That sometimes in order to accomplish something, so you're not going to be patient, you're not going to be passive, you're going to engage and do, but you have to have a, the, the long-term, uh, long-enduring mind. Patient persistence, just keep doing it over and over again, over and over again. And there's many situations in life where you have to persist for a long time in order to accomplish something. I mean, some of you, you know, who raise kids, you know, you know, can see that. I mean, how many times do I tell my son the same thing over and over again? And I've wondered why my, my parents told me the same thing over again. You know, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid. But now I see that it takes a long time for some of these lessons to sink in. And, uh, and so sometimes the repetition is really needed, so it takes a long time uh, for these kids to learn sometimes. Or I've seen it, with, again, with little young kids. Uh, I spend a lot of time with young kids, and now that I have kids, right? So, so um, uh, I've learned that there's a whole class of kids, maybe a lot of kids, who, when I'm a stranger for them, I go into their home, I meet their parents, I meet them, that my first instinct when I was, you know, first hanging out with a kid was to walk right up to them, say hi, you know, to engage them. And it's not the thing you do. Uh, some kids, if you do that, it frightens them. It's best not to actually engage them at all, but kind of, kind of be in their orbit. And, and if they don't feel like you're directly at them, then uh, they warm up to you and they kind of warm up very nicely and somewhat quickly if you kind of have this indirect approach. So it takes some, you know, you can say some patience. You want to connect with a kid, but you have to have patience and not kind of do it on your terms, but do it in the, what slowly allows them to warm up. So here's a story about patience that um, it's kind of a fable. So there was a, a stepmother new to the family who had a young uh, stepchild who really uh, didn't like the stepmother and was angry a lot. Imagine the child probably lost his mother or her mother and was you know, angry or upset or disturbed or something by it all. And in the fairy tales, it's not uncommon for the stepmother to not get along with the kids. And so, um, so she tried all kinds of things. But, so then she went to the local uh, shaman and asked, you know, what do I do? And the shaman said, oh, um, yes, I have, you know, there's something you can do. Uh, go and uh, clip off, bring me the whisker, three whiskers from a lion. <laughs> So she gulped, and, and after thinking about it, she thought, well, this is important, this relationship, you know, and this is what the shaman said. So she went into the wilds, and, uh, you know, how do you get three whiskers from a lion? So she kept her distance from the lion, just kind of stood for a long time, and, and would go visit the same place where the lion was, but stand far, far away. And then um, after a while, she figured out that she would leave some food, some meat or something for the lion, and she would leave it there and go away, and leave it there and go away. And 
it is took, you know, weeks and weeks or whatever. But slowly, slowly, you know, they, they line got kind of used to this person who brought the food and, and the woman could get closer and closer to the lion. And, and pretty soon the, the, the lion was pretty uh, relaxed around the woman. The woman learned to be relaxed about the, the lion. And, and eventually she was able to kind of very quietly walk up to the lion, sit down next to the lion and bring the food. And the lion would feel quite, you know, it was un- unthreatening to this person who was bearing of gifts. And finally one day she went to visit her lion friend. The lion fell asleep with her there. And then she reached over and took three whiskers out. And then uh, the instruction was to come back to the shaman with the whiskers, but as the story is told, then she realized she didn't have to anymore. She had gotten the lesson. So then she went back and she realized that you know she had this frightened, angry kid and she had to have this long-term approach, maybe the same way, of slowly easing into the space of the kid and ha- having the kid slowly, slowly learn to trust. So patience. Um, you know, it takes a lot of patience. Patience, you know, you want to do something, something's very important to do, but you need to have a, a long-term plan where you slowly ease into it. And it's not on your terms, but it's on the terms of what's needed in, in the situation. Spiritual practice is like that. I think that uh, we need a lot of, if you're going to, probably one of the most important lessons to learn if you're going to meditate is patience. Uh, meditators who don't learn patience quickly suffer. Um, the meditation itself is a slow process. And, you know, it would be nice if we sat down and just like that got concentrated and blissed out. And, but uh, it would probably, be, probably do a disservice to us all if that was the case. I remember my first Zen teacher said that um, he, could, he could sit down with someone and do a guided meditation with them that helped them get really deeply concentrated into deep states of meditation very quickly if it was a guided meditation. But he said it wouldn't be useful for them, it wouldn't help them, because um, it's kind of like taking a drug. And what's really important is not getting into these deep states. What's really important is the, is the personal work you have to do to cl- get yourself clear enough and settled enough in order to be able to get into those states. That's what's important. So you have to maybe work with your anger or your unresolved issues or your conceit or your uh, timidity or you know your reluctance or all kinds of issues that can come up. And so working with those issues is a very important part of the process of meditation. And it takes a lot of patience. I mean, you thought it was easy with a lion. <laughs> you know? So you have to kind of approach yourself you know, very carefully and slowly that inner life will show itself and relax and eventually the inner, something inside will equivalently fall asleep and you get the treasure. You get to get those three little whiskers or something from you. Um, but I've seen that in myself, that uh, some of the most important voices or impulses or desires or know, motivations that I've had in my life that directed the course of my life uh, happened when I was um, made a lot of space and time. It was very quiet. Um, if I was busy doing, all the t- doing things all the time, I couldn't hear the deepest voices or impulses inside. So in order to, um, you know, I think for, for this inner life, spiritual life, Buddhist life to unfold, there has to be a lot of patience, there has to be a lot of time. Uh, the idea of being efficient, doing a lot, and being productive uh, is an important thing, and certainly there's a time for that in our life. There's also a very important time to be inefficient, or to be slow, or to be patient, or to, be, um, to make space. Recently I learned um, a, a wonderful cliché, a little s- slogan. 
if you want to be kind, you need time. That's a very significant statement. If you want to be kind, you need time. Kind people, if you, uh, if you don't have time, if you're always busy, it's hard to be kind. If you're always busy and doing, it's hard to be patient. Uh, if you go into a, you know, something simple like a supermarket and you're in a hurry and impatient, and the person in front of you is talking to the cashier too long, you can get irritated and upset, you know. I mean, this is America, you know. I have, uh, <laughs> you know, I have other places to, sh- I have other important places to shop and to keep the economy going. <laughs> and you're slowing the whole thing down. And, but then you come up to the cashier and maybe you say something, that, you say something simple, maybe you're kind of managed to keep your irritation in check, but you say something, you feel like you have to say something. And so you say, um, well, that, that was a long conversation you had. There's no, no, there's no charge, no charge at all. It's just kind of very, kind of like, like talking about the weather. You know, just a long, just a long conversation you had and, and the cashier said, oh yeah, she just lost her husband. You know, and suddenly you realize, you know, maybe there was something more going on than just someone taking up airspace, you know, that there was, it was a human connection. It was very important in the situation. And so how do we know what the rhythms, how do we know what's really going on in people's lives and what they do, why they do what they do? And so to give, have time and to have patience allows us to listen more deeply, allows us to ourselves, allows us to listen more deeply to other people, what goes on for them. I've sometimes been on the freeway, and I don't drive particularly fast, I don't think, but I don't drive slow either. And sometimes I'm driving in the, you know, in the slow lane, and, but someone's going really slow. And I feel, felt my impatience with that come up. But one of the reflections I have when I, that happens is, I say, you know, I don't know them. I don't know what's happened in their life. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe, maybe they're just recovering from having been in a terrible accident. Maybe they had one too many accidents. Maybe someone they loved died in a car accident. And I, you know, no wonder the person's driving carefully the way they are. Who knows what's going on for that person? I mean, it could be the person's just out to irritate us all. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's, that's possible too. But I, would, I prefer to live in a world where I give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, where I can kind of feel they're, you know, that they're not there to cause us problems. They're doing what they do because they're trying their best to cope with a life which is difficult. So, one, so to jump around a little bit, I apologize. So one idea in Buddhism is that patience has to do with being able to persist in the long term with what is maybe slow and difficult to do. And practice can be slow and difficult to do, but persist. No matter what happens, just persist. When it's uh, easy, persist. When it's difficult, persist. Uh, when there's odds against it, just persist. Keep doing, doing, doing. And I've seen, uh, and many people know, that uh, the, the, one of the secrets of Buddhist practice is the value of persistence itself. So you're persisting in doing something. And so you think the thing what you're doing is important. So let's say, say you're, you know, have this noble thing, you want to cultivate more compassion. And so you persist in trying to be compassionate. So the compassion is a thing you're trying to do. And say that you're, it's, you fail. You're utter failure developing any compassion at all. But you've persisted for a long time the secret is that that persistence uh, builds character. That persistence builds patience, it builds 
um, integrity, it builds uh, effort, it builds a lot of beautiful things and uh, that bring a lot of strength to a human person, to a human being. And I've seen that in many people who've done spiritual practice, that the quality of just hanging in there and doing it is one of the things that really lays a strong foundation for their whole spiritual life. The other aspect in Buddhism of patience is patience under insult. And so occasionally we'll get insulted uh, and by others. So we get the, the people do things that irritate us. There, there are difficult, so-called difficult people in our lives, you know. And so they irritate us or make things difficult for us or whatever. And so to cultivate the patience where we don't give, we're not giving them a free check to be difficult. But the patience in Buddhism, remember, has to do with our anger, our irritation. So patience is to learn not to give in to that anger, not to get in, into that irritation, not give in to the impatience, the restlessness. And in doing that, hopefully then, then having the wisdom of knowing what's needed with those difficult people. It, does not mean, it doesn't mean just be, you know, be passive and be rolled over by them, but to, take, to, you know, to understand what, what, what's needed here. And sometimes what's needed, uh, what, or I don't know if it's needed, but what, sometimes what's most useful is to slow down and be kind to them. There's a culture, I remember many years ago I read a, an account of some, maybe it was in the Philippines, some more indigenous tribe in the Philippines, I think, they had a custom that if you, they were, they were focused on dreams. They were, whole tribe would kind of, they would wake up in the morning at breakfast, talk about their dreams a lot, a dream culture. And if there was a, some, if someone in the dream, if someone you knew showed up in your dream in a frightening or difficult way, then the custom of the tribe was to go find the person and give them a gift. So what happens if you give a difficult person a gift instead of, you know, shut them down or close them out? I remember this, uh, it was a story that I heard from Norman Fisher, a Zen teacher up in San Francisco. And maybe because it made such an Im- impact on me when I heard it, this simple story, it's kind of stayed with me. He was in a parking lot, and I guess there were very few parking spaces left, maybe. And uh, he saw a parking space. And so he pulled into it. Ordinary thing to do. But he hadn't noticed that there was someone else waiting for it. You know, you don't do that. That's like taking what's not given. So, you know, he took that person, the other person was patiently waiting for that space and I guess someone was coming out of it and he took it. So he, Norman parked and that guy got out of his car and came over and Norman was yelling at him. You know, really angrily. You know, how could you? And uh, Norman listened patiently. He didn't punch him out or <laughs> run away or... He just listened. And then Norman just said to him, you're, you know, you have, to, you have to say this only at the right time and place. You have to have a lot of wisdom <laughs> of when to say this. And this is the first time I heard someone say this, it was many years ago. Uh, but he said to him, uh, you're having a hard day, aren't you? And the guy's shoulders sagged and the guy relaxed and he said, yes. So who knows what's going on with the difficult people? And so to meet it with, meet it with kindness, to meet it with some other approach, is what's possible if we're patient, if we don't give in to our anger or our fear or whatever. And I think that uh, the practice of meditation is one of the places where we learn patience. 
even patience under insult. Because meditation is a very significant place where you're gonna sit and not give in to your impulses. You can try to come back to your breath, you can try to be here, you can let go. And you're gonna learn, learn the art of not giving in to a train of thought that arises. You start thinking something and you don't give into it, you let go of it and come back. Uh, strong feelings come up and you start chasing those feelings. No, I have to come back. And instead of living in your emotions, instead of living in your thoughts and your stories, meditation is a place where you learn to step back from it and find some freedom in relationship to it. As we find that freedom in meditation, that translates, I hope, directly into doing that in daily life. So we can step out of the emotions, the stories, the thoughts that are fuel for impatience. So patience under insult. Now it isn't only uh, other people who are difficult. Uh, Sometimes the difficult person is us. And so the idea of being patient is also to be patient towards ourselves. Uh, Patience with what's difficult in us. Patience with our anger, for example. Patience with when we can't let go of our impulses and we're caught in it. To learn to be patient with that. To realize that it's also a long-term project to befriend the lion that's in here as well. And so it should keep showing up in a gentle way, compassionate way, and be patient with the whole process. The third aspect of patience in Buddhism, Buddhist analysis of it, is um, acceptance of the truth. So accepting what's true. And uh, this is a, a beautiful thing, but also a very difficult thing. Um, and many people are contending with that, uh, to, to accept what's really true about themselves. Uh, people who are addicts, for example, uh, it's a big step in, in addiction work to finally realize that I'm an addict, that I'm caught up. And a uh, um, uh, 12-step program is a big thing about be- accepting or being honest about this is my situation, this is who I am. I'm an addict. Whereas you know, an alcoholic will say for years, no, I'm not an alcoholic. Oh, I could stop drinking whenever I want. I can, you know, I, I manage my life just fine. I, my, I, can, my, I can do my job, everything's asked of me, I can do just fine. And really the person is, 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 is caught in this spiral of, of alcoholism to really re- recognize, oh, I'm angry. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm an addict. That's a, and to accept it, not accept it saying, well, that is great. <laughs> I just kind of keep doing it here. But to acknowledge it fully, to be honest about it. Or some people uh, have a really hard time being honest about their own anger. That they really they have an anger problem. And so people tell them, no, I don't have an anger problem. And so then, um, but to accept in the sense of acknowledge is that's true. Or uh, some people, um, their life is pervaded by fear and anxiety. And some people, they don't, sometimes don't know it. And, but to realize, oh, this is, this is what's going on for me. I have no idea. And to accept it in the sense of full acknowledgement. Oh, this is how it is. Or you know, there's a variety of things, personal things, that are very difficult to want to face and look at in oneself, one's demons, one's situation, how difficult it is. Sometimes it has to do with interpersonal relationship, sometimes with um, a spouse or a partner. There are things that we don't want to look at in that because maybe we're afraid if we look at that or admit it to, or accept the, the truth of, you know, we're always fighting. You know, or you know, there's always a lot of dishonesty here. There's always, you know, backbiting going on back and forth. If I really look at that and accept it, then I have to do something about it. And I have to do something about it. Maybe we can't stay together or it threatens, you know, the security of what I'm holding on to. So I mean, I can go on and on, right? But, but the acceptance of what's true is not an easy thing sometimes. 
So the patience, this uh, Buddhist idea of patience, is one of the uh, one of the things that allows us to accept what is. Also, uh, accepting what's true is not only about our personal qualities, but also accepting what's true in terms of um, the truth of existence, truth of life. For some people, accepting the truth of death is a very hard thing to do. Um, You know, some people uh, will deny and avoid their own death for a long time. Um, I know a man who's 80, 81, and whenever I bring up the topic of death, he shuts down and changes the subject. If, you get, if, I, if I bring it up a little bit more actively, he'll say, you know, don't bring up, don't bring up bad news. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going kind to of be depressing or something. And I think it's quite sad that someone could be, get to 80 and feel like, you know, that you can't bring up the topic of death and talk about it. You know, one of the, not, not in all hospices, but one of the attitudes when someone starts hospice is that at that point, there's no more crisis. So what's the patience, what's the acceptance of truth, acceptance of situation? We no longer see what happens as a crisis, you know, in the process of dying. Once you've accepted hospice, this is the course of what's going to go. You're not going to call the emergency anymore, you're not going to call 911, you're not going to intervene. But at this point you have to accept the truth. Or someone who uh, we love, his, his last, their wishes has been, last directive has been um, uh, no extraordinary medical procedures to keep me alive. And, you know, every, every cell in our, 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 our body says screaming, no, we have to do, keep them alive to do something. But that's not their wish. So we have to accept the truth of their wish, the truth of the situation. And how, does it, how do we do that without succumbing to our despair, succumbing to our fear, succumbing to our anger? This is the role of patience, the ability to step back from our reactivity and allow something else to unfold. One of the very interesting areas of acceptance of truth has to do with accepting the truth of, in Buddhism we call it not-self, but to accept the truth that we are not the role that we define ourselves by. We are not a particular quality we define ourselves by. We're not a story that we tell ourselves that, to define ourselves. That in, in, in Buddhist analysis, you can't really define a human being. And to define the human being too, too closely, and too, too narrowly, causes suffering. And there comes a point in many people's lives where they realize that they've been defining themselves in a very narrow way and holding on to it for a variety of reasons, and they see the task at hand is to let go of that definition, let go of holding themselves that way. And it's very hard to do that. They can see it, but they're afraid. They can see it and they're afraid. And that happened to me when after a few couple of years of Buddhist practice, I could see that what was called on for me was to let go of certain kind of clinging to self and how I wanted people to see me. I was very concerned about how people saw me a certain way, and I was kind of involved in social gymnastics to try to get people to see me that way. And I could see the suffering of that. I could see that it was not necessary. I could see it to be free. I had to let go of that. I could see that it had to be done, but I couldn't do it. And it was quite something to be teetering there on that edge of seeing what had to be done and not being able to do it. And so, I did, I, uh, so the idea, acceptance of the truth, acceptance, acceptance of the fact that sometimes we, there's this work that has to be done of letting go of identity, but how hard it is. And we know it can be very hard. Uh, in the stories, many stories we hear of people who retire, where their life has been around a particular identity, and now that identity is gone, and they just spiral down. It's just nothing, nothing holds them up anymore. 
hopefully if uh, people understand the practice of Buddhism, they realize that, you don't have, that there's peace and well-being and joy to be had without an identity, without holding on to something like that. And so the acceptance of the truth sometimes, that kind of acceptance of the truth, is sometimes is very, very difficult to come to. And so if you go engage further and further into the spiritual practice or in Buddhist practice, there's a number of very deep insights, understandings that come along with the practice that if we understand that really well or take it to heart, requires us to let go in deeper and deeper ways. And that accept that letting go is a very difficult thing to do. And the patience quality is, the, is uh, directly connected in Buddhism to this acceptance of what's true, being patient with what's true. Accepting what's difficult to accept, but somehow opening to the possibility, even, if, even though it's uncomfortable, entering to the, the discomfort in a way that um, allows something deeper to work with it within us. And then it's worth mentioning, um, maybe it can be a subject for another talk, that, uh, uh, so I've mentioned three qualities, uh, that Buddhist, two, three aspects of the Buddhist idea of uh, patience. There's patient persistence, there's patience under insult, and there's acceptance of truth. And the fourth is forgiveness. And the reason why forgiveness is placed under here is that forgiveness in the Buddhist context, uh, it's, it's a very different cultural approach to forgiveness than the kind of Judeo-Christian approach to forgiveness. Judeo-Christian approach to forgiveness, you know, I don't know so much about this, and I apologize if I got it, got it wrong, but sometimes it's been traced back to how formative it was in Judeo-Christian cultures to have a uh, jud- judging God. There's this almighty authority who has tremendous uh, control over where you're going to go in your, after death or you know, your well-being. And so, you know, if you do something that irritates that guy up there, then uh, judgment day will come and you will either go to eternal damnation or you may go to heaven. And so to, get to, to receive forgiveness is a really big deal. When they, you know, if you don't get it, it's eternal damnation. And so we have, so the, at the foundation of Judeo-Christian culture's idea of his forgiveness from this all-powerful figure, it's very important. It's really a kind of a pardoning, you know, of everything you've done, and so that everything you've done in the past no longer uh, goes with you. Uh, Buddhism doesn't, uh, wasn't uh, founded on, on that kind of idea of a god. And so, uh, but in, in contrast to that, it's more like Buddhism was founded on karma, which is the causal chain that's set in motion by your behavior. Uh, the cause and effect that's set in motion by what you do. And the karma, your karma, there's no external force or person or being that, in, inter, uh, that can intervene with your karma. The only thing that can intervene with your karma and make a difference is how, what you do in your practice. So there's no one else that's responsible for your karma but for you. However, so, so the idea of forgiveness then from someone else is not as important as it is for you to do your own practice, your own work. So, but forgiveness is still part of Buddhism, but what forgiveness is really tied to is, is releasing our ang- the anger we have towards others. It's that I'm no longer going to hold, I'm no longer going to be angry. When I forgive you, I'm no longer going to hold anger towards you. It doesn't, I'm not, I'm not freeing you of your karma. You're still going to have to work this out for yourself in some way. And, uh, but it, you, you, you know now that I'm a safe person for you. 
I'm not, I'm not going to hold my anger against you and, you know, make it difficult. And one of the reasons why it's so powerful and useful to release our own anger in relationship to other people is that one of the ways to, in a, in a healthy way, to, to change the course of our own karma is to not stay angry, not continue with angry. So they are responsible for their karma, you're responsible for yours. And if you want to be responsible for yours, take responsibility for your anger and not hold it. And so it's a beautiful thing to learn how to let go of anger towards someone else. So it's kind of a different cultural approach to forgiveness that I think is very interesting to kind of think about. So I would like to end with a story that I heard, the read. That kind of ties to patience. As I as I read as I was read it, there was a, I think it was a scientific crew scientists who were going to go climb, go deep into the mountains of Mexico or something, very rural Mexico, and they hired some um, indigenous Indians, native native people, from it, to carry all their medical supplies, and apparently the scientists were a little bit in a hurry to get to their deep in the mountains to do their studies, whatever they had to do. And they, so they were hiking in, hiking in to the mountains. I guess you couldn't bring donkeys or anything, just maybe narrow trails, I don't know what. And at some point, uh, the porters carrying all the equipment all together stopped and sat down. And the scientists were a little bit impatient. <laughs> you know, it's time to go, let's go. You know, we can't, we have to get there before nightfall or something. And but the, um, the porters just didn't budge. And they stayed there. And finally, after a while, they all stood up and started walking. And the scientists asked, you know, what happened? And the lead uh, porter said, oh, we were waiting for our souls to catch up to us. <laughs> so um, perhaps some of you could use your little bit of stopping so your souls can catch up to you. Meditation is one of the ways we catch up to ourselves. You want to be kind, give yourself time. And if you want to be patient, give yourself time. And if you want to understand yourself really well, give yourself time. And if you want to understand someone else really well, give it lots of time. Give yourself time. So, thank you very much. <laughs>